All right, we're going to continue uh, our study through the book of Timothy, First Timothy this morning, and so uh, Dan Stolbarger is going to be with us and sharing, and so if you guys want to give him just a big hand as he comes up, yeah, just make him feel as uncomfortable as possible, you know. Thank you. Um, last week... Chris sort of kicked off the uh, series of First Timothy, and uh, my wife and I usually sit down here in the front, and I was like glued to the message because this is an important time for Anthem Church as we sort of make our way through this book. Uh, but one thing that he said is he said something along the lines of, in my life, I don't like to just get 40-year-olds to speak into my life. I like to surround myself with people that are a little bit older. And I sat there thinking, because I meet with Chris on a pretty regular basis, and I'm thinking, I think he might be referring to me. <laughs> and then I thought, he says, so I like to get people that are like in their 70s. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my, that is me. I can't believe I'm in my 70s. And so I started thinking, you know what? I don't need to gather people around me to speak in my life that are in their 70s. I need to get people that are in their 90s to speak <laughs> into my life. So if you're out there and you're in your 90s, I'm looking for a mentor, okay? So. A couple things before we get started on this. Uh, number one is... I've been in ministry now for close to 50 years. I've walked with Jesus that long. I became a Christian in my senior year of high school. And as I look back over the 50 years of ministry, I can tell you there's one thing that's not done enough. And that is the people of God simply saying, thank you. And I want to take a moment to say thank you to those that come early to set this place up. I want to say thank you to those, to everybody that's involved in our worship teams. I don't know if you realize how blessed we are each Sunday to have talented musicians who love Jesus that come up here they never even introduce who they are, right? We don't even know their names many times. But what do they do? They lead us in worship. Thank you. And then... Whew. I love you, Chris. We're blessed. We are blessed to have Chris and Heather Laurie leading, planting, praying over. I don't know if you realize how much they do for this church. And like I said, far too often we simply fail to say those two words. Thank you. Thank you for your service. You are such a blessing to us. Amen?
a commercial and a warning. Here's the commercial. Uh, Sharon and I, as you know, we have a ministry called Holy Ground Exploration. And it's our joy to take people to Israel. We have an Israel trip coming up in February. And as much as I love to take people to Israel, I love to take Anthem people to Israel. So on that table over there where it says missions or connect, there's a little business card. We're going February 21st. Israel's open once again. And if you haven't been, start praying because this will literally change your life, honestly, to walk the land where it all began. And it's a blessing for us. And again, for you to go with this, double blessing, all right? And then the warning. If I had a traffic light up here, I wouldn't have it green flashing. I wouldn't have it yellow flashing, but I would have it red flashing. Because we are about to embark on a journey through Scripture that has the potential of dividing us. And I want you to keep in mind that division is the key strategy of Satan as he attempts to destroy the work of God. And it should never exist among followers of Jesus. We can and do at times disagree, maybe even fight over what we believe to be the truth. We can even rebuke each other to the face if we think we're in error in any way. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his dear cross, and this is one of my many Spurgeon quotes. Give me your hand, my brother. You are washed in the blood, and so am I. You are resting in Jesus, and so am I. You have put all of your hope in Jesus, and that is where all my hope is, and therefore we are one. As we begin this process of going through this book, we're going to share with you what we believe these teachings that Paul gives to Timothy, how it impacts who we are at this particular time in the life of Anthem Church. I dare say that there are going to be a percentage of you that are going to say, about time. And there'll be another percentage of you that says, oh no. And the enemy is going to seek to do what I just told you, to drive a wedge in and to divide us because that's his victory. We, as the followers of Jesus, can never allow that to happen. Now, how about one big amen for that one? Amen? 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 amen. All right.
uh, in honor. Uh, before we get to the portion of Scripture, let's just talk about Paul and Timothy for a moment. Uh, their personalities. If you're burdened, if you're beat down, if you need a cold glass of water, if you need an encouragement, right? The person you probably won't run to is a guy named Paul, <laughs> right? If you need that encouragement, that drink of water, and that pat on the back, that you can do it sort of thing, I got another guy you need to run to. His name's Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement. He's going to be there saying, you can do it. I'm on your side. The cup is always half full. But if you find yourself face to face with Paul, at least for me, he seems to be more of a grizzled old bulldog. And he's going to look at you and say, you better never quit. You better never give up. You better never turn tail and run. You better stand firm. You better be a workman rightly handling this word of truth. Do you realize the war that we're in? That's Paul. And as I thought about this, and I thought about Paul writing to Timothy, it's, it's the strands that are woven through this come from that guy that says, I believe in you. And when I thought about this, again, my background, I never knew my dad, never knew him. I was raised by my grandmother and my mother until I was in sixth grade. And then my mother remarried and I inherited two brothers, one the same age as me and a father who loved me as his own. Needless to say, I was raised by my mom and my grandma. I'm convinced that I'm here today as a believer because of the prayers of my grandma. But I was very soft. And as I identify here, I realize, you know, Timothy was raised by his mom and his grandmother. And I, I'm not making a lot of this, but I think Paul came into his life and said, you're my son. I believe in you. I'm going to give you some charges. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to raise you up in the way you should go. And so as we're going through this book, I sort of wanted you to feel the heart of Paul as he writes to his dear son, Timothy. But first, let's talk about Paul's resume. We just hired an amazing guy, Tony, as one of our pastors on staff here, and we went through the process. And as I was studying for this, I thought, I wonder if Tony's resume would have looked like this one if we would have hired him, okay? Are you ready for this? What if, 
What if, uh, as I was reading Tony's resume to our elders, what if I said, well, this guy's been thrown into prison several times. Um, he's known for creating riots. He's been beaten left for stone. Some think he was back from the dead. He's got terrible eyesight. He's got this weird thorn in the flesh that nobody can quite understand or know what he's talking about. He says he's not much of a speaker, and he is, confesses that he doesn't always play well with others, okay? Um, what do you think? Should we give this guy a go? Should we bring him on our staff as a leader? But I should go on to say that he does end by saying that God's enabled me and God has strengthened me and God has called me and because of his grace and mercy would you consider hiring me? Well, that's Paul. Uh, if you don't mind, in honor of God's word, let's stand together as we read our portion for today. This is 1 Timothy, verse 12 through verse 20. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Paul starts by saying, I thank him who has given me strength. Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful. And when I got to that word faithful, I paused for a moment and I thought, you know, faithfulness is really what it's all about. 
And, and you know, you don't have to be smart to be faithful. You don't have to be talented or gifted to be faithful. Faithfulness is something very down to earth. Faithfulness deals with dependability and reliability. And when it comes to service or ministry, I think it's important that we realize the qualifications. You should not enter ministry or service, by the way, the same words, to get a title. Service in the kingdom of God has to do with understanding that you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Service. Paul's going to say that God enabled him, least likely person, but God enabled him to be part of his ministry. I'm going to talk about this as we conclude, but I believe here in Anthem right now, I have a question for you. How has God enabled you to serve? There's a lot of different things that are needed. Unfortunately, today in our culture, in our society, what we've turned this experience in to, for the most part, is what it looks like. You're out there. Here's a pulpit. Here's a speaker. I'll speak. You listen. Spectators. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the mission of the church, there are no spectators. God is calling, and it's not up to you. You do not have to be what? Gifted. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be talented. You have to be dependable and reliable. You have to be faithful. And that's the one thing that Paul pulls out, saying, if you're thinking about me, I'm going to tell you all my flaws. I'm going to go overboard, in fact, in telling you what they are. But you know what? I love Jesus. He changed my life. And I'm faithful to that. And I'm dependable. And I'm reliable. Anthem needs people who God has enabled and invited into service. Keep in mind that word ministry is the same word for service. Well, verse 13 says, though formerly I was... I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was rude and arrogant, I was an opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
I don't know about you, but I am a lover of the program called The Chosen, okay? I love it. I love how it's displayed. I love the different personalities that we see. And for Mary Magdalene, I love this statement she makes. I was one way, but now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Wow. Is that your story? Because Paul says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, arrogant, rude, but I received mercy and grace. We should never feel that our past mistakes make us unable to serve God. We are enabled, we are infused with the Spirit of God because of his grace and mercy. If that was true of Paul, and now he's going to go on, and if I could take a moment here, Paul's going to say, my life is a sketch. My life is an example. Let me paint the picture for you so you can see my life and then figure out if God can do this in my life, what can he do in yours? That's what he's about to do here. So he goes on and he says, but there's a trustworthy and deserving statement that needs to be made that's deserving of full acceptance. So Paul's going to say, I have got to share with you first and foremost the foundation. And then he says that Jesus came to save sinners. And by the way, this statement where it says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, it was like a creed in those days. It, it would have been something that everybody would have memorized. So what are the four essentials? Because he's going to say this statement four times through the books that we're studying, First and Second Timothy. What are those four creedal statements? Number one, that Jesus came to save sinners. Number two, the value of godliness. He's going to say physical training, okay, it's good. It's got some value, but godliness has value for all things. Then he's going to say, I got to talk to you again about being faithful, Timothy. And then he's going to insert God's grace and mercy. If we threw everything out and we said, here's the foundation of who we are, we would have to say that Jesus came to save sinners. He's called us to become more like him, to follow after him, discipleship, right? And our message should be one of grace and mercy. Those are the fundamentals. And then he goes on, and I guess here's the question I have to ask. Why did Jesus come? What was his primary purpose? He didn't come 
to accuse sinners. He didn't come to judge sinners. He didn't come to condemn sinners. He did not come to promote social justice or to close down abortion clinics or to alleviate poverty or to set right the wrongs of Rome or to set up the Jewish kingdom or to usher in the millennium. He didn't come to inspire praise musicians to entertain believers. Why did Jesus come? He came to save sinners. We here at Anthem have to keep that on the forefront of our minds. Why did Jesus come? Oh yeah, all those other things are great and probably deserve some attention, but let us never forget that the mission of Jesus, the reason he came, was to save sinners. And if that was his mission, how much more should that be the foundational mission of any organization that would claim to be his church. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And then Paul's going to go on and say, of whom I was the foremost. Notice he doesn't say of whom I am No, he does say, of whom I am the foremost. He doesn't say, I was. I am. And when we think about this guy that says, use my life as an example for all of you, here's a snapshot. We're told that he made havoc of the church in Acts 8. He breathed threats and murders. He brought people bound to Jerusalem, Acts 9. He persecuted the church beyond measure and he tried to destroy it in Galatians. He told Agrippa that probably his worst sin is that he actually compelled believers in Jesus to blaspheme. This is the guy. Created havoc. Your worst nightmare. If we live back there and Paul was on the loose and he kicked in our doors and he took you to prison and left your wife and children, you know what your prayer is going to be in prison? Jesus, kill that man. Jesus, rid the earth of this man. Do away with him. Set us free. Right? It's hard for us because we know the end of the story to realize the transformation that God did in Paul's life. It's hard for us to imagine the early church embracing him. Right? (laughs) Think today what it would be like for the Ayatollah or the head of ISIS or whatever, to come out and say, "Um, by the way, I had this experience, the light shone from heaven. 
I'm now a believer in Jesus. Can you tell me where all the Christians now live? Right? Can you imagine what took place? He created havoc. This is his example. And he's going to say, if God could do the work in me because I am the chief of sinners, what can he do in your life? Verse 16, he said, but I received mercy. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Again, if you know me, you know my love for Spurgeon. Spurgeon writes this. He says, despair's head is cut off and it's stuck on a pole by the salvation of the chief of sinners. No man can now say that he's too great of a sinner to be saved because the chief of sinners was saved 1,800 years ago. If the ringleader, if the chief of the gang, if the head honcho has been washed in the precious blood and is now in heaven, why not I and why not you? The chief of sinners, why not me? Paul says, he's using my life as a sketch. And as he says that, it seems then he breaks out in a doxology. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is that insight to Paul that's no longer the bulldog. This is the insight of Paul with tears streaming down his eyes. And he's saying, God, you are the immortal God. You are the king eternal. You have complete power. You're the creator of all things. You saved me. You alone are wise. Thank you. Thank you as the chief of sinners. That's his doxology. And then it's almost as he pulls himself back together and says, wait, 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 Timothy, I'm not done. So this is verse 18. And he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with what, with which the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. The last verse that we're going to get to I don't know more about or much about. You'll have to wait for that so I can just tell you I don't know. But this is where I want to land for a moment and leave you. Paul's charge to Timothy, and I might add since we're going through this, his charge to us today, in our culture, in this day, is that we wage the good warfare. How do we do that? I'll give you four. 
Number one, in order to wage a good warfare, you have to acknowledge the fact that you're in a war. Do you know that? Seriously, do you know that you're really in a war? There's a phrase that I'll come back to, but we are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We are in a war, and God has called his church to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. So how do we win a war? Again, number one, you have to acknowledge you're in one. Number two, three, and four. I'm an old football coach. If I want to win a game, I got to have three things. I got to have a good offense, right? I got to have a better defense, especially in this day and age. And I got to have good communication. I need those three things to win. In the same way, the church today needs to understand you're in a war and you need three things if you're going to win this war. You need a good offense. You need a good defense. And you need good lines of communication. What's an offense? What's your offensive weapon? Do you know? In the book of Ephesians, we read about the armor of God, right? And, and we've got a breastplate, we got a helmet, we got a shield, we got stuff for our feet, we got a ton of stuff to protect us. But you only have one offensive weapon. What is it? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. Today, the world does not need your thoughts and opinions. Today, the world needs to know, whether they know it or not, what is written. It is written. I know I don't have much time, but I'll say this. I got saved because my friend read to me from the Bible. He didn't know the difference between an epistle or an apostle. He just got saved. But he loved the book of John, and he would open it up, and he'd read verses to me. And you know what? Those verses, when I laid my head down at night to go to sleep, guess what throbbed through my mind? It was the Word of God. You know why? It never returns void. It always accomplishes what God sets it out to accomplish. The Word of God is what's missing, and it's what we need to have as our offensive weapon, and there's no excuse that anybody can make saying, I'm not able, I'm not smart enough. No, no, no. There's nothing like you sitting down with your Bible open. I love commentaries. And the internet now is incredible, right? But it never takes away from you sitting down 
with your Bible open and reading your Bible. If we're going to win the war that's waging, we have to be people of the Word of God. Second thing is we need a good defense, right? I'll tell you two stories. I believe that the best defense that you can have is worship and praise. And the stories that come to my mind, let me take you to Israel with me. If we go to Israel right now, we're going to go up north. It's the Golan Heights. We've got the Syrians. There was a time that Elisha was in that area. He's with his servant, and the Syrians are coming to attack, right? Overwhelming odds. And his servant has got knees shaken. And Elijah says, oh God, open his eyes. And as he opens his eyes, he sees chariots of fire that are surrounding him. And then we have Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat is the same as the Kidron Valley today. It, it's the slope down from the eastern wall, the golden gate of the old city of Jerusalem, and it goes up the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. It's known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And now you're in the south, and there's a war that's coming. And you've got the Edomites, the Moabites, I can go on and on. And they're outnumbered once again. And what does God say to Jehoshaphat? Gather the people together. Leave your swords at home. Bring your little ones with you. And let's go down through the valley to meet the army that's waiting to destroy us. Oh, by the way, God said, and I want you to take all of your worship leaders and I want you to surround the army with the worship leaders and I want you to sing and worship as you go to battle. Anybody know the end of that story? Worship and praise. You know, where there's a spirit of heaviness, where there's a spirit of fear, where there's a spirit of bondage, God says to worship. That's how you fight your battles, to worship. We got a good offense. At Anthem, the Word of God is presented weekly. We put it out to you to say, be disciplined studiers of God's Word. We got a good defense. We've got people that are up here leading us in worship. We're surrounded by His praise. But we need prayer as well, because prayer is good communication. And in fact, we're told that there are some things 
that you might encounter that require uprooting. And that's not going to come with a good offense and a good defense. That's going to come by prayer. The power of God. And then we have to ask ourselves, so what is prayer? What is it? Is there a formula to do it? Or is it a person that has put God's word, he's hidden God's word in his heart? Because by the way, Paul's going to say, you need a good conscience, Timothy. And you know how you get that? You don't just will it. You don't just think, I'm going to think happy thoughts all the time. You're not going to just drag yourself through the mud. But you know how you have a good conscience? Is that you fill yourself, you hide in your heart the word of God. And the word of God washes your mind out. The word of God warns you of what's right and wrong. So we have the word of God, the sword of the spirit. We have praise enveloping us. But prayer? It's just talking to Jesus. Nothing magical about it. It's just talking to Jesus. And as we conclude the worship groups coming up, let me just say that that last section where it says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Scholars are going back and forth over this, but the bottom line for them is they're going to say this. They're messing with the resurrection. Hymenaeus in chapter, in 2 Timothy, denies the resurrection. And if you deny the resurrection, by the way, Paul says, you're an idiot. You're the greatest of all fools if you, desire, if you deny the resurrection. Why? It's because you just have another dead lamb. It's only the resurrection of Jesus that is the, finishes the transaction of the forgiveness of our sins. So, in conclusion, let's fight, let's wage war, let's be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Let's find our place to serve. Let's allow God to enable us to serve in this ministry. And then, let's be a part of saving sinners. In Luke 15, we're told what sets heaven in an uproar. In Luke 15, we're told when the angels start to uncontrollably worship and praise and go nuts. Okay? And what is that? Do you think that the angels rejoice when Anthem publishes a position paper on politics? You think the angels rejoice when we clarify what baptism is for us or communion? No. You know what sets heaven crazy? Is when one person comes to know Jesus. One person. 
do you realize that that's the wind in our sails? That when people come to know Jesus, there's a life that's infused into us that nothing else can equal? Why? Because Paul says, let's get one thing straight. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's what we need to be about, Anthem. We need to be about saving sinners. Amen? Let's stand, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that you came and died so that all of our sins might be forgiven. Thank you that you have commissioned us, you've called us to be part of this movement that envisions a war, waging war, going out and saving sinners. Jesus, keep us from having so much going on that we miss the middle, the center of what you called us to be and to do. Jesus, we pray that this week you would give us the opportunity, you would bring somebody across our paths that we can share you with. Jesus, we pray for Anthem that this would be a place where sinners and that's who we all are, a fellowship of sinners come to find life. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.